0: To Five Alive. It's so good to have you joining us today. We are going to continue talking about the Old Testament and its relation to how Christ has redeemed us and what our future looks like as a result. The first week, about four weeks ago, we talked about Adam and Eve and how sin entered the world through Adam and Eve. But yet, through Christ's blood shed on the cross, we are absolved of our sins and Because of the sacrifice that he made, he is the second Adam who leads us to eternal life, whereas the Adam and Eve story is a story of the fall of mankind. Secondly, we talked about how wickedness continued to prevail on the earth and that it was so bad and so violent that God was like oh i wish i would have never created mankind and so what he does is he's going to flood the earth washing away the old and forming a new however in the midst of this plan he does spot out a righteous man named noah and he chooses noah his wife his three sons and their wives He protects them by putting them in the ark, which shows us again the importance of baptism today, a washing away of the old, the wickedness, the violence, the disobedience of God, and instead falling in love with him anew. Another man was then chosen after Noah, his name is Abraham, by faith, by trust, and with foresight. Abraham saw that his future and he was given promises by God that his generations would be as numerous as the sands on the seashore. He also saw the redemptive power of Christ in the future. And we talked about that last week of how God is preparing a place. Jesus is preparing a place for us. And today we're going to continue in the story of Abraham, Father Abraham. And we are going to start with Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19.
1: By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac, and he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure.
0: Excellent. Thank you so very much. Abraham looked not just to a personal heaven or a personal utopia, or even to a general utopia, but he was looking to a generational significant thing where he was like, okay, God's great. And he's preparing a place. He created us to populate the earth he wants that to happen that's one of his commands is for us to be fruitful and multiply and as he's looking at all of these directions that he's receiving from the lord as he sees that god is looking for his future he says wow god is going to bless me with a son however as we talked a little bit last week abraham and his wife take things into their own hands and they try to do God's job for him. We see them where what they do is they say that they are going to um, go ahead and give, Sarah's going to give her maidservant to Abraham, and then that way she can have offspring through Hagar, and instead of needing to do it God's way, they were going to do it their way. So we see this in Genesis chapter 17, verses 15 through 21.
2: And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you behold. I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father 12 princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year.
0: Excellent. So what we see here is we see the heart of a man that since the fall of Adam and Eve is bent towards evil bent towards doing things their own way bent towards i'm going to do this myself and yet god's love for mankind is continuously and righteously found in people whom he rescues the old testament forefathers are not sinless people so what we've got to do when we're looking in the old testament is not see anybody there as completely perfect the only person we see in utter Complete perfection is Jesus Christ himself. And as you read through the New Testament, as you even read through external resources, any information that is truthfully told about Jesus, you see that he is perfect. He is sinless. He is blameless. He is blemishless. And yet that is not what the Old Testament fathers were. That helps point out the facts to us today that we too are striving to be more righteous, more faithful, more just, Yet we have fallen short, yet God in his mercy still comes and helps develop our faith, just as he did Abraham's, to bring us into right standing or righteousness with him. Today we see that when Abraham is 100 years old, his firstborn son is going to be given to him. Even though Abraham and Sarah tried to help God and had Hagar impregnated and she gave birth to Ishmael, Ishmael is not the promise that God has given to Abraham. However, we have got to take notice because there's a lot of nonsense going on out there in the worlds today about the children of Ishmael and that that is where the Islamic faith comes from and all of this kind of stuff. Okay, we're talking about Ishmael. We're talking about like 7,000 years ago. And when Islam came into fruition, when Muhammad declared that they were the children of Ishmael, we're talking about just 1,300 years ago. That's a huge gap, folks. 4,000 years, 5,000 years difference before a man all of a sudden proclaimed that he's a child of Ishmael and that they're the Ishmaelites. Let's get real. Let's look at the fact that that, first of all, is Highly improbable. Second of all, let's also look at the fact that this is a madman who is proclaiming, and I know that can get me into some trouble possibly, but he was a madman who is having visions and dreams and is sleeping with a 12-year-old little girl and has numerous other wives. This is a guy who's hallucinating and doing drugs and all of a sudden says, hey, we're the children of Ishmael. Okay, let's look at what really happened with Ishmael. Is Ishmael still given a blessing by God, according to the passage of Scripture Xavier just read? Yes. Yes. And what is that blessing that he's going to receive? That he'll become a great nation with 12 kings, 12 princes. Exactly. He's going to become a great nation. You know what? Later on, and we're not really going to go into this because we're talking about Abraham. We're not talking about Hagar. Later on, Sarah treats Hagar just ridiculously pitifully. And Hagar runs away. And as she runs away, God comes to Hagar and says, I have heard you. I have heard your cry. I have heard your prayer. Now for all of those people who think that God is some kind of a misogynistic God within Christian doctrine and Dharma, Let me tell you, you're wrong, because again, here God goes out of his way, not speaking to Sarah, not speaking to Abraham, but speaking to Hagar, and he speaks to her and he says, I will make your son into a great nation. God, speaking not to man, but speaking to a woman, he hears her prayers, he hears her requests, and he even says, I will protect Ishmael, I will keep him safe. That is the promises of God, because just because Ishmael was not the promised Isaac, was not the one doing it the way God had foreordained for things to happen, but instead man took things into his own hands, God still gives a promise and he still hears the cry of Hagar, the maidservant, the servant, the one that's not even fully into the whole promise of what God is doing. He hears her cries and he hears her prayers. What does that make you think of does that make you see how awesome god is or does that make you go oh man what an evil mean god
1: i think it's awesome because he heard the the cries and the prayers of both women i mean for protection of their own sons and for god's grace to be upon ishmael and upon isaac yeah i mean god hears all prayers so from a woman's standpoint I think it's. I think it's fascinating.
0: I think it's absolutely telling of how much God loves humankind. Right. Not one sex over the other, and not some kind of duplicitous way that, oh man, you're insignificant because you were born to this tribe and you were this servant. But instead, God looks at you not for what your status is on this earth, but He looks straight to your heart. And Hagar obviously had a heart to follow after God. Mm-hmm even though Ishmael is not the promised gift of God when man takes things into his own hands outside of God's will this creates conflict corruption confusion other things continue to occur because what is what is the reality of Hearing from God, knowing that this is he, He's given us a direction of where we're supposed to go with our future. But when we go and we say, I'm going to ignore the steps of God because He's not moving fast enough for me. What happens when we take things into our own hands?
1: It can get out of control. It may not go according to plan. It may, we may think that what we did was right. But sometimes we can um, cause division and or say something that's inappropriate and hurt people in the long run when we take things into our own hands of I know best.
0: Exactly. Exactly. I also see that the result ends up being massively filled with sin. Now let's look at Abraham. Even though he has his wife's permission, he sleeps with her maidservant, which is not what God wants to do. They have a son, Ishmael, which is not what God wants to have happen. And therefore that son Does the son get killed? Does Ishmael get killed? No. No, instead he gets blessed and he is made into 12 princes and a mighty nation. And as a result of some of the things that happened through Ishmael, some of the tools, some of the trade, some of the educational system that we have even to this day came through the lineage of Ishmael, which is really cool in and of itself. But also let's look at the fact that Abraham is constantly confronted with the sin or the disobedience of trying to take things in things into his own hands every single day. Sometimes, folks, sometimes we create a sin inside of our heart and inside of our life, and all of a sudden we want that to just be gone because it causes us so much pain if we continue to be confronted with it every single day. And yet Abraham is confronted with Ishmael every day of the rest of his life. He's confronted with the disobedience that he had between himself, his wife, and God. He is confronted with the fact that Sarah hates Hagar. He's confronted with the fact that this isn't something that's going to ever go away in his lifetime. And that reminds me, and it has to remind us, that sometimes when we sin, that sin gets so deep penetrated, that even when we come to the cross and we say, Jesus, forgive me, and he washes that sin away, and he really does, we may stand up from that altar place, turn around, and that sin is going to be right back in our face, a result of that sin is going to be right back in our face. Not that we're going to go back into sin, not that we're going to go recreate a sinful situation, not not that we're going to all of a sudden just, oh, I'm I'm never good enough, and so therefore, I'm never going to make it in this world. Not those kinds of things, but that sin could possibly be facing us every single day, and yet we, like Abraham, have got to faithfully trust in God that he removed our sin, and that when we are waking up in the morning, we are walking through our day, and we are going to bed at night, that we are not going to continue down that same road that we were before, when we were living in sin and disobedience to god that's an important fact for us to recognize is that this is a part of our lives we make mistakes and those mistakes have consequences and in order to deal with the consequences of those mistakes we have got to take responsibility for our actions confess them to christ our lord repent of them daily and then continue on in our lives. All right, we're going to move on now into Isaac being born. That's found in Genesis chapter 21, verses 1 through 5.
1: The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac, and Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him.
0: Let's go ahead and read verse six because that gives us Sarah's take on this as well.
1: And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me."
0: Now Sarah thinks that this is a trip. Like she's laughing like, man, this is so cool. I'm 90 years old giving birth to a kid. Like this is wild. My womb has been shut the whole time I've been alive. And at 90, I'm giving birth to a kid. And Abraham's like, he's just got to be in love with Isaac. There's no doubt in my mind that both of these parents are just like, just enamored. They're they're in love. They, they favor Isaac. They teach Isaac. They lavish upon Isaac. And yet still, as we read, when Xavier read in Genesis 17, the covenant is passed on to Isaac. Now, I don't want to mistake it, anybody here. There is a passage of scripture that Ishmael is also circumcised, but so is Isaac. Isaac is circumcised, which shows that the covenant of the promise of God is following through this lineage of Isaac. And it's important that then one day God will demand a sacrifice of Isaac. And that's kind of where we're going today, as you saw when Mallory read Hebrews chapter 11 earlier. But we have this person of Isaac. He's been born. He's precious. He is unlike anything Abraham and Sarah have had to this point, And he is right there in their face. They're in love with him. And yet God then speaks as Isaac gets a little bit older and says to Abraham, I want you to take and I want you to sacrifice your son for me. That's pretty powerful stuff because I mean, I love all three of my kids. I love Addison, Xavier, and Mallory. I mean, they're a precious gift from God. There is absolutely no doubt that I would struggle like anything if God were to come to me and say what he says to Abraham. But in Genesis chapter 22, we see the story of the sacrifice of what God is asking of Abraham and what is going to happen with Isaac. And so in Genesis chapter 22, the story unfolds that After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. God said, take your only son, your one that you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer Isaac there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I'm going to tell you about. So Abraham made preparations. He rose early in the morning. He saddles his donkey. He takes two of his Servants with him, and he brings along Isaac. He cut wood for a burnt offering, he goes, and they go to the place of which God had told him about. They go to the land of Moriah, and on the third day, Abraham looks up at the mountains there and he sees a place that's far away and Abraham says to the servants, "Stay here with the donkey." The boy and I are going to go over there and we're going to worship and then we'll come back to you. Abraham then takes the wood of the offering and then lays it on Isaac. He then takes his knife and the fire and he goes the both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, Father, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but there is no lamb for a burnt offering. And Abraham said, God's going to provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, son. So they both went together. And when they came to the place which God had told him about, Abraham built the altar and laid wood on the in the order that he was supposed to. And then he goes and he ties up Isaac. And I can only imagine that what that had to have been like, how tearful and mourning this moment has to be. And he ties up his son, Isaac, and he lays him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reaches out his hand, takes a knife in order to slaughter his son. But in that very moment, when Abraham is about to slaughter his son, an angel of the Lord calls out from heaven and says, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham again replies the same way he did at the beginning of this chapter. He says, here I am. Do not lay your hand on the boy or anything to do with him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham then lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham for a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn. Declares the Lord, because you have done this and you have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heavens and as the sands of the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. Abraham has seen people who follow false gods, false deities. He's seen demonic worshipers throughout his 100 years of life, 100 plus years of life, sacrifice children, their children, murdering them and being filled with sin. So when God spoke to Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, what could possibly have gone through Abraham's mind to think that this ordained calling of God was different from what he saw all around him all the time. How was Abraham able to be separated in his mind from what he saw surrounding him every single day? Except for the fact that he was walking daily with the one true God. There's foreshadowing of what Christ is going to do for us in this Genesis chapter 22. Isaac takes the wood upon him. Jesus carries a cross upon him. Isaac is the one that is laid upon the altar of sacrifice. Jesus is actually sacrificed for us. There's a foreshadowing here. There is a pointing unto the cross, which shows us just how close Abraham really was with God. And yet there was a replacement given for Isaac, which then foreshadows you and I. We have a sacrifice that is put in our place, the sacrifice of Christ. He takes upon himself all of our sins, delivering us from perdition. Perdition is eternal damnation. And as Isaac was liberated from death in this moment, so we are also emancipated as Isaac was. That's pretty cool foreshadowing, if you ask me. But not only that, what about Abraham? That is, after all, who we're talking about here, right? Father Abraham, who had many sons. We see that because of his faithfulness, the full conditions of what God has promised him are going to be given to his offspring and to generation upon generation. We see this told to us again or reminded to us again in Romans chapter 9 verses 4 through 8.
1: But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring.
0: In other words, I was not born in the lineage of Abraham. Were you, Blair? No. Xavier, were you? No. Mallory, were you born in the lineage of Abraham? Is he your great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather? Not by flesh and blood, he's not. But the beauty here is, is that what Paul is telling us in the book of Romans is that because of our faith in Christ Jesus, Abraham is our adopted father because we have now been brought into this body of Abraham being our father, Isaac being our father as a result of our faith in Christ, which is a total look back to what Abraham was working under. How did Abraham prove his faith in the story of sacrificing his son, Isaac?
1: Because he was actually going to sacrifice his son.
0: Exactly.
1: And God's like, don't actually kill him.
0: Right. That's exactly right, because what we see here is we see a man who has got such admirable faith that he would take his son, he would bind him, he would raise a knife to kill his son. And in essence, by doing that, Abraham is willing to say, I'm sacrificing not just my son, but myself. Because, I mean, after all, he's over 100 years old now. His wife is over 100 years old now, too. There's no way God would provide somebody else all of a sudden. But what did you read in Hebrews? That he was willing to sacrifice his son, not just because his son would die on that altar, but because he knew and he believed that God would, if he was to sacrifice his son, plunge that knife into his son, he knew God would raise his son from the dead. Because that's the kind of God we serve. We don't serve a kind of vengeful, hateful, destroying God who destroys those who are his people, but instead, he is a God of love for those who are called according to his purpose, those who are believers in him. Now, is God vengeful towards those that are his enemies? Absolutely. But when you find yourself on the other side of that, when you find yourself in a place where you have asked Jesus Christ to be your personal Lord and Savior and you have repented of your sins and you are committed faithfully to Him, He's no longer vengeful towards you. He's not sitting there walking down the street with you pointing out every wrong thing that you ever do. Instead, by the power of His Holy Spirit, He is continuing to help you have out-of-the-box faith and that your works will also be out-of-the-box kind of thinking works. Faith and works have got to actively be united. James chapter 2, verses 19 through 24. You believe that God is
2: one. You do well. Even the demons believe in shudder. Do you want to be shown, your, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless?
0: To recognize that our works have got to be in line with our faith I don't do the good deeds and the good works I do because it's going to get me into heaven I do good works and I do good deeds because of the reflection of faith that is already exhibited inside of my life that God is leading me to do so what kind of work justifies your faith What is the work that you're doing that justifies your faith? Because what I see is we often like to justify our bad actions. We like to justify our sins. Oh, I did this because of the circumstance that I got pressured into. I only did this because I was peer pressured into doing it by other people. I would have never done it normally. We reason our way out of our bad conduct and we justify it saying, oh, it was only because of this specific, oh, it was because of my childhood, oh, it was because of my parents, oh, it was because of my... We try and come up with all these things. We justify our actions sometimes because of comparison. Well, I may have done this, but they've done so much worse, so I'm obviously still good. How about we stop justifying our bad habits and our bad actions and our bad lifestyles and why don't we justify our faith with good works? Let's stop justifying sin. Let's justify our faith. We've got to get out of the habit. In order to do that, we've got to break the habit of always looking for ways to commit sin and to take God out of the equation of our life. And instead, we've got to infuse him in every portion of, of our life, from the rising of the sun till the going down of the same, and everything that happens in between, and everything that happens in between at night. And we have got to allow our actions, our works, to justify the faith of what Christ has already done in our hearts. And as we do that, we also, like Abraham, look to the future of what God has in store for us, but not just us as individuals. But for the generations that will come on after we have already passed on from this world because it is appointed unto on man once to die. Let's close in prayer.
1: Thank you, Jesus, for today and for every single day and that we will worship you always. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
0: We're available on social media. If you want to find us there and ask us any questions, we look forward to chatting with you.
1: I will live out